Hello lovely listeners, welcome back to another episode of Coffee and Crime, a true crime podcast. If you're new here, hello, how you doing? My name is Lisa Marie and each week I sit down with a cup of coffee and I tell you all about a true crime story. I've got my caramel latte in my coffee cup, which you guys can get on Redbubble, which I'll talk to you guys about later, but I'm here and guys, it has been a whole thing. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I do want to take a quick apology, uh, time to apologize because there was no episode drop last week on like Spotify, Apple, Samsung, through your headphones. And if you're watching on YouTube, there hasn't been an episode for two weeks and uh, it's just been very full on. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> what happened was essentially, so I work full time. I'm a single mum, life gets busy. And uh, when it came to recording for last week, which was part two of the Mr. Asia drug syndicate, it just, it just wasn't happening. It just was not happening for me. So I have decided that I'll just do this next week. So uh, yeah, I'm sorry guys. <laughs> if you're watching on YouTube, you're like, what on earth are you talking about? Cause you haven't even heard of part one. Part one and part two will be in one long episode that will go up on YouTube. But if you listen through your headphones, you'll get them separately where well, you've already got part one. So that's kind of what's happening. Trust me, I'm, I'm kind of upset with myself. I do like to hold myself accountable and make sure that I put in the time to get these episodes out to you guys. But I wanted it to be a good, good quality episode and it just wasn't going to be last week. Now you also might be thinking, you might not be, up to you if you want to think this, but uh, I usually release an episode on a Saturday and this episode is coming out on Monday. So no, that wasn't an accident. This is planned. And the reason being is because it's a sort of special episode because today is my birthday <laughs> and I wanted to release an episode on my birthday. And this year, my birthday, 13th of February, has fallen on a Monday and not a Saturday. So can you do? I don't know. What can you do? Um, so yeah, it's my birthday and this is my present to all of you guys. And your present will be to listen to it. Okay, cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, so yeah, fun fact, I was born on Friday the 13th. If you want to be superstitious, 13 apparently is the unlucky number and Friday the 13th is the worst day to be born on. <laughs> but I think, um, for my mom, it was probably a good day. She gave birth to this legend. Thanks, mama. I think I was, a, I think my labor was actually quite a pain for her. I don't think it was actually that smooth. So very sorry, mama. But that was 25 years ago now. Get over it, love. <laughs> I'm joking. I love my mama and I, I thank her for giving birth to me. So there you go. But what I wanted to do was find a true crime story that took place on like my actual day of birth. Friday 13th, February 1998, that's what I wanted. But uh, as I was trying to find something, it seemed that it was quite an average day to most, except my mum. There was a few things that happened in February of 1998. Uh, Sir Elton John was knighted, that's quite cool. Um, Bill Gates got a pie thrown at his face in Belgium, which I think is quite funny. And then in terms of uh, true crime events, Tommy Lee, was arrested on battery charges that his soon-to-be ex-wife Pamela Anderson placed against him, which is pretty huge. And it's kind of like now, you know, there was a documentary about them on Netflix. I think last year there was heaps of people coming out wearing, you know, Pamela and Tommy costumes for Halloween, which is just like, it's a bit poor taste, if you ask me. But because it wasn't really until, yeah, last year that I heard about these people. Sorry. Um, but also Carla Faye Tucker, who I told you guys all about in episode 11. Was it 11? Yeah. She was executed in February of 1998. And that was a brutal case to cover. And it was, oh my goodness. I'm just like thinking back to the story now. Like that's episode 11. It was crazy. But yeah, she was, um, she was put to death in February of 1998, 10 days, yeah, the third, so like 10 days before my birthday, so, but nothing else really that too exciting seemed to happen in the true crime world on, on February 13th, so that's fine. 
what I, what I decided to do then was, okay, well, let's just find a case that happened on any February the 13th. And I have found a case for you all. And just a heads up, I will be playing parts of uh, audio, like of the 999 calls, because this uh, case took place in the UK. Um, and yeah, so I'll be playing little parts of audios and things throughout this episode. So I will do my best to make sure it's not terrible to listen to, but I'm still playing around with all this kind of stuff. So just bear with me. Um, but yeah, no, that's all I have to say. Enough chit-chatting, Lisa Marie. I've got to, I've got to make up for two, like two weeks of not sticking to the schedule. So lovely listeners of Coffee and Crime Podcast, grab your cup of coffee or whatever caffeinated beverage you need to get through your day and join me as I tell you about the bubble and squeak murder. Warning, the following episode contains adult language, discussion on domestic violence, suicide and murder that listeners may find disturbing. This podcast is intended for listeners 16 years and above. Listener discretion is advised. So today we're starting in Woolwich, South London, and on the 19th of February 1955, Penelope was born. We'll come to find out that Penelope has quite a few last names in her lifetime, but we actually don't know her original one, the one that she was born with. Now, Penelope did have quite a rocky start to life. Um, Her mother was married, but not to her biological father. So being the product of an affair back in the 1950s, this was quite problematic for Penelope's mother. And unfortunately, Penelope got placed in the foster care system at 10 days old. Now, we don't know much about her experience from being in the foster care system. I do think that will be quite interesting and we'll we'll circle back to that later. But we do know that in 1967, at 12 years old, Penelope did get to meet her biological parents again. Now, from what I could understand, they still weren't together um, and they would occasionally visit her maybe some like visitation thing got set up she didn't live with them she never lived with her biological parents and i feel like because they weren't together that's why she couldn't go and live with them and i say it was an occasional visit because her parents were now living in somerset which is about three and a half hours away from woolwich so a little bit of a journey i suppose but yeah the the article that i was reading about was quite vague but Penelope never lived with her parents. Now, we're going to fast forward to 1973. And in 1973, Penelope's parents did get married. So they're finally together. And this meant that Penelope, her birth could be registered. Um, I don't really understand how that works. Um, And this is obviously over in the UK. I haven't been there since I was four years old. I was born in the UK, but I, yeah, I don't really quite get that but on her 19th birthday in 1974 Penelope's birth was registered now what's crazy about this is that by that time Penelope was actually already married and had a child (laughs) which is like how would she be able to get married if her birth was registered yeah so I don't quite understand it but that's from all the articles that I read and everything that I read about Penelope her birth wasn't registered until 1974 Now, we're going to go back into 1972, when Penelope was 17 years old. She met and married her first husband, Melvin Porter, and they were living in Western Supermare, which is again about three hours away from Woolwich. And then in 1973, they welcomed their first daughter, Rebecca Porter. So, Rebecca's birth was registered before Penelope's. That's wild. (laughs) That hurts my head. (laughs) But like I said... It will be, it's all different, you know, it's back in the UK, it's the 70s, different societal values, different time, so I imagine that will, I imagine with Penelope being in the foster care system, that probably played a part to it as well, about not being able to be registered, and then the parents getting married when she's, you know, nearly, nearly in her 20s, so we'll, we'll just do with that what we will. Then in 1977, Melvin and Penelope welcomed their second daughter, Victoria. 
but the marriage was not meant to be. In 1979, when Victoria was only two years old and Rebecca was six years old, Penelope took the two girls and she left Melbourne. Why? Well, according to Penelope, Melvin was abusive, he was an adulterer, he was having multiple affairs, and just an all-round horrible man. So she took her two girls and she left him. She even went so far as to tell her two daughters that Melvin had died, and that's why they weren't living with him anymore. We will circle back to this, but Melvin in fact did not die. And you may be thinking that I'm saying that he was abusive very nonchalantly. Is that chalantly? <laughs> very kind of flat. And yeah, we'll, we'll come back to this, but it's not exactly the truth. But anyway, between 1979, after she left Melbourne, and 1981, Penelope got a job as a civil servant for the Royal Air Force. And so this would be like kind of administration type work, behind the scenes. Um, but she was never sworn into the military. Now, if you know a military family or you come from a military family, you'll know that a lot of moving around is involved. And this was no different for Penelope, even though she was just a civil servant. Penelope would be constantly moving around with Rebecca and Victoria. And in 1981, she met and married her second husband. And this was a fellow civil servant by the name of Tony Rothwell. Now both of them were 26 and by all accounts this was a whirlwind romance. It was a very quick relationship but an even quicker marriage. It ended so quickly because Tony realised that uh, Penelope did not have the correct equipment for him. If you get my drift. If you don't, Tony realised that he was gay. So he wasn't going to stay in a relationship with Penelope and Penelope, by all accounts, seemed to agree that they, there was no point in continuing the relationship. So their, quote, long friendship fizzled out, end quote, and they divorced. After this divorce, Penelope moved to South Wales for work and this is where she would meet her third husband, Royal Air Force Chief Technician Alan Wanderer. And their relationship was no smoother than her first two. For a start, when Penelope and Alan met, he was already married with three children. However, this huge red flag did not stop Penelope engaging into a secret affair with Alan, and it went on for about two to three years. Now, as the saying goes, don't sleep with your co-workers, because it doesn't stay a secret forever. Uh, Alan's wife did find out about the affair as she was dying from cancer. This poor woman, she was only 36 years old, she's on her literal deathbed when she found out about her husband's infidelity. And the fact that she was now going through like the roughest battle of her life, the kids are gonna lose their mum, he's about to lose his wife, like it meant nothing to him. It didn't motivate him to stop seeing Penelope and be there for his family. It didn't make him rethink his decisions. No, he continued to see Penelope and he didn't give two pounds a piss. And she didn't care either about the family that she was tearing apart. In 1984, unfortunately, Alan's wife did die from cancer. And instead of Alan stepping up and being there for his children, who have just lost their mother at an incredibly young age, Alan practically disowned them. He shipped them off to private boarding schools or he sent them to go live with other family members. And 18 months after his wife died, 18 months, Penelope and Alan got married. It's just so callous, like it's just, there's no respect. It's, it's just awful. Penelope and Alan got married in 1986. In 1990, Penelope and Alan welcomed their daughter, Isabel, and by all accounts, or lack of accounts saying otherwise, Alan didn't mind the fact that Penelope already had two other children. Now when they got married in 1984, Rebecca would have only been 11 and Victoria would have been 7. And again, by all accounts, or lack of accounts saying otherwise, they were living with Penelope. She was their mum. She didn't send them off to anyone. She didn't put them in foster care or anything like that. They, they were very much still there. 
Now, it seemed that once the two got married, Penelope moved from the Royal Air Force to an administration role with the armed forces. It was better pay, but I also imagine that the couple's scandalous start had something to do with Penelope leaving the Air Force. Then in 1992, Penelope would strike a new match. Now, while Alan was stationed in Saudi Arabia, because he is in the Royal Air Force, it's part of the deal, you have to be stationed places, it's that lifestyle, Penelope said that she got bored, she was lonely, and any other excuses a cheating person wants to throw out, and she began a new affair with a man who would become her fourth and final husband. This was Lieutenant Colonel of the Armed Forces, David Jackson. It was during his time on placement that the two met, and once again, David was married, and we know that Penelope was too, but that didn't stop the two of them making excuses to see each other. Then when Alan came back from Saudi Arabia, this was in early of 1993, he found out about the affair. Now I'll say it again, don't sleep with co-workers, don't enter secret affairs with married people because it does not stay secret forever. And when Alan found out about Penelope's affair, he took his own life. Alan committed suicide over Penelope's infidelity. He was found in a garage, he was quote, quite drunk and emotional, end quote, because she had been having an affair. However, not everyone is convinced that this was a simple suicide. In fact, Alan's brother believed that it was more of a coercion. He thought that the ruling of a suicide over Alan's death was too easy. Yes, he died from carbon monoxide poisoning. All evidence and facts that was there was that he turned the car on. It, it was all him. However, he just didn't seem to be the type to kill himself over infidelity since he had cheated on his previous wife. It just seemed a little bit suspicious and to make matters worse, Penelope inherited everything from Alan's death. None of his kids from his first marriage got a scrap. No money, no property, no assets, not even like any medals or badges he got from his time in the military. Everything went to Penelope, including his pension. That's suspicious. But there's obviously no way to prove that Penelope made him do it or anything like that. But it's just something that people were very much aware of. And even at his funeral, witnesses there said Penelope looked very unbothered. And she didn't even shed a tear over her late husband. So David Jackson, he is now entered the chat. Now once again, Penelope fell hard and she fell fast for this very successful and well-off military man. He was about 12 years older than her as well. I mean, age gap, you know, they're both well adults at this point. Like it's, the age thing's not really an issue, but it does make things a little bit suspicious. Well, not suspicious, like, okay, I see what she's doing here. She's going for the older guys. And it, like I said, he was successful and he was well off. Um, however, because they got together and obviously with Alan, unfortunately taking his own life, Isabel, who was Alan's daughter, was convinced that David was her father. And Penelope didn't tell her otherwise until she was well into her teenage years. So up until she was about 14, 15, she believed that David was her biological father not this Royal Air Force serviceman who was off serving his country, who had taken his own life because of Penelope. She didn't even have the respect to tell her daughter who her real father was. Now, David, he did step up. He seemed to be quite a good dad to Isabel, but I just think that's really disrespectful. Like I said, he wasn't, he wasn't a saint, obviously with what, um, so Alan, he wasn't a saint for what he had done to his family, but I think that's quite a low blow. Now, interestingly, in 1994, not long after Alan died, Penelope changed her last name to Jackson, after David Jackson. However, they didn't get married until 1996. So why is she changing her last name? She like changed it on all her documents, on her like voting papers, her, um, like her passport, the whole lot. She changed her last name to Jackson. 
She wasn't even with the guy, really. She was just having an affair with him. This is why I think it'd be quite interesting to know about her time in the foster care system and what kind of family or families she was influenced by because at the moment she is just taking without thinking about anyone else but herself. She's given no thought to consequence and it's like, how, how can you just take someone's last name who's already, like they're married to someone else. He's already got a wife with his last name and you've just decided that it's also going to be yours? Excuse me? Mm-mm. Um, well, a little bit about David. He left school at 16 years old. He joined the Royal Transport Corps at 17 and he worked his way through the ranks. He married a woman named Patricia in 1964, had two daughters and a son called Gavin, who we'll talk a little bit about in a moment. But at some point they got divorced because David started having an affair with another woman. Her name was Sheila. He got married to Sheila after divorcing from Patricia. And that's who he was with when the affair started with Penelope. Sheila found out about the affair when one day Penelope decided to call David on his home phone, the landline. Sheila picked up and Penelope was there screaming and demanding to talk to David. And Sheila wasn't dumb. She put two and two together. She knew that Penelope was someone who he had met at work. Now she's calling the house, demanding to speak to David. Yeah, not a smart move there, Penelope. Uh, after Sheila confronted David about it, he apologized. He said it was going to be over. He'll cut ties with her, but Sheila's not an idiot and she divorced from him anyway. David broke vows. Now, even though Sheila was the other woman to begin with when he was married to Patricia, she, I suppose, was hoping that he would stay with her, but unfortunately not. So, uh, Sheila divorced from him and then he entered a relationship fully and openly with Penelope. The story is just full of people cheating. Do people not know how to be in a relationship and be loyal? <sighs> but yes, in 1996, Penelope, who was 41, and David being 53, they got married and seemed as happy as ever. I'll note at this point that Rebecca and Victoria, uh, Penelope's oldest daughters from her first marriage, I think it was the first one, um, to Melvin Porter, they were now adults. They had moved out of house and were getting on with their lives. Isabel was only about six years old. So the little family unit of three seemed to be doing really well. They were happy. I mean, it's so hard because it's like you want people to be happy. But some people... <laughs> some people who have cheated on too many people and had no respect for their ex-husband who killed himself, they just rubbed me the wrong way. So, <laughs> yeah, you're happy. Great. <laughs> Sorry. It's a very weird, conflicting feeling, okay? Okay, let's just go on. Um, with David and Penelope's careers still being within the military, they did move around a lot. The family of three lived in France at one point and in Germany, different places around the UK, and they just seem to be getting on with life. Obviously, Isabel's there thinking that David's her dad at this point, and he seemingly is a very good dad to her, so why not? Why not? However, tragedy did hit the family and it seemed to change this dynamic drastically. In 1998, two years into their marriage, Gavin, who if you remember was David's son from his first marriage, he took his own life. He unfortunately committed suicide and he left a note behind saying he did it because he did not want to end up like his father, like David. It turns out that Gavin had cheated on his pregnant wife and it's believed that the guilt he had from that was too much. Obviously seeing how his father's infidelity ruined his marriage to his mother and then one to Sheila, his, his stepmom, uh, he just, he did not want to end up like that. Which is heartbreaking. He was only 28 years old at the time. He's now left behind a wife and an unborn child who would never know its father. Can people just not cheat? Thanks. Now reportedly since Gavin's death, the once amicable, mild-mannered David became aggressive. And to combine that with Penelope's very obvious narcissistic personality, the couple were quite toxic to each other behind closed doors, 
obviously when they're outside in public they both have uh, you know these military careers they have to meet a lot of people they have to go to these functions and, and all that kind of stuff they put on a good show they put on a good face um but yeah and it's the case with everyone you don't know what's going on behind closed doors however David's brother, a man by the name of Alan Jackson, said that David could be an, quote, arrogant bully, end quote. There was an incident not long after Gavin's death that David pinned Penelope up against a wall and made her nose bleed, and the witness was eight-year-old Isabel. Another incident occurred on Mother's Day when David smashed a coffee mug, uh, like a Mother's Day coffee mug, in front of Penelope's face just after Isabel had given it to her. But probably the most shocking incident, in my opinion, was when David, Penelope and Isabel were living in Germany. They were out at a family dinner, kind of like a family barbecue type thing. They were out in public with, you know, in-laws and, and extended family members there. And a situation occurred which resulted in David holding a knife to Penelope's throat. And it took three family members to pry him away. Now, there were never any charges placed against David for these incidences, and it seemed, because that they all took place within the first year since losing his son, uh, everyone just excused them as being part of his grieving process. Now, I know everyone grieves differently, and I know that there are a lot of feelings uh, involved when it comes to grief, especially um, anger, frustration, confusion, um, sad, devastated, I, I get that. But holding a knife to someone's throat, smashing a mug in front of their face, giving them a bloody nose. I believe that external help or intervention should have come into play. Okay, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have had charges placed against him and, you know, he didn't need to do jail time. But they probably needed to be a bit more help. The couple decided to, like, work through it and they stayed together and it seemed as if they just kind of swept it under the rug. Don't know if that's the healthiest of options, but what do I know? Now, Penelope and David would stay married for the next 24 years, making it Penelope's longest marriage yet. And no, she did not deserve any of those violent acts that happened to her. But from the witnesses of the couple together, including Penelope's own daughters, Penelope became a very, very difficult person to live with. Uh, they said she was very argumentative and she held grudges, and she kind of almost blackmailed, or not even blackmailed, but she thinks she could get away with saying whatever she wanted to David, and say like, you held a knife to my throat so I can say whatever I want to you, kind of thing, you know, instead of having a healthy way of talking about it, and coming to some sort of resolution, or like forgiveness, and kind of not forget about it, but a move on in a healthy way, Penelope was like, I'm going to hold this over you, and it means that I can do whatever I want, which, that's not good. It's not good. It's not healthy. Um, Penelope's daughters, uh, Rebecca, would say that her mother, quote, could get carried away and get a bit loud, end quote. Penelope would bicker with David and criticize him over, like, really small menial things. And then David would respond in kind, and then they would be arguing. And Penelope would shut him down all the time, going... But you did this to me, you gave me a bloody nose, you broke this mug, or you held a knife to my throat, which yes, he shouldn't have done those, he should not have done them, but you don't hold it over someone who is now trying to get past that, because by all accounts, David's aggression and those feelings, they did cool off, and there were no more violent incidences, it just turned into like verbal and emotional abuse towards each other, which is just not good, it's just not good. Uh, however, they seemed to be able to pull off the happy married life in public. Uh, Penelope did value her life as an army officer's wife. Uh, she did enjoy the financial benefits too. Uh, no doubt the pension from Alan's death was uh, sitting quite nicely in a bank account that she didn't complain too much about. Got such an issue about that. Now, because of her own income from her, her good job, David's income from his good job, the pension from Alan's very good job, Isabel was able to go to an expensive private school. They would be able to go on expensive holidays and um, Isabel could do whatever she wanted. She, they had the money, she could do whatever hobbies that she wanted. 
Now, Penelope also retired a little bit earlier than David, even though she was 12 years younger, seeing as she would get her own pension from working in the military, Alan's pension, and obviously the money that David was making. Now, once David retired, they had three pensions coming in, all from a very, you know, very good source. And the fact that he was a high-ranking member of the armed forces, so was Alan. They weren't short on cash. And David and Penelope, once they both retired, they were very much into the same things. They loved going on cruises. They loved going on holiday. They loved tending to their garden, wine tasting, going on like these like vineyard tours and things like that. And they were able to live their golden years in the small town of Somerset in the UK. Now, if you remember, Somerset is where Penelope's parents were when she first rekindled with them. So a little bit about Somerset, it is the home of a very famous cider, it's, I think it's like my brother's favourite cider, but it is a very small township, its population is roughly about 1600 people, mostly those in their later years, and it's pretty much a retirement village, the whole town. Now not much went on in this town, that was until February 13th, 2021 my 23rd birthday <laughs> just to you know reiterate we're doing a birthday episode now what do we know was happening during the great years of 2020 and 2021 and that we still are seeing happening around the world today covid and covid lockdowns now the uk was in one of their many lockdowns and like most people cabin fever was setting in in fact in april of 2020 Penelope posted a meme on Facebook of a woman like knitting a noose and on it said uh, after two weeks with her husband Gertrude decided to knit him a scarf and obviously the scarf in the meme was a noose. Now to me there was so many of those like memes floating about the place and it was like oh check in with your sister-in-laws they're living with your brother like see how they're going and all these kind of like morbid funny jokes and things like that so I get it, <laughs> like, I could see how her posting that, it, it was fine, I don't really have an issue with it, a lot of people are like, they're now looking back going, oh, she planned this for ages, no, I don't think she did, I think she was just posting a funny meme, like everyone else was about being in a COVID lockdown, however, this meme that Penelope posted no longer was funny after what we're about to talk about occurred. In December of 2020, the police were called to the Jackson residence in Somerset after Penelope had locked David in the conservatory of their home and he then smashed his way back through with a poker, you know, the thing you use in the fireplace. Penelope had locked David in the conservatory over an argument about the TV remote. Now, David had not long returned home from the hospital as he needed to replace the battery of an implant in his brain for his tremors that he had. But he also had to undergo chemotherapy for prostate and bowel cancer. He had a knee replacement and he was just tired. You know, if you, you're at the hospital for many things or for so long, when you get home, you're just tired. And yes, you're a little bit irritated. He was sore from surgery and they argued about the TV remote. Then she locked him in the conservatory. I, mm. Again, they just don't have healthy ways of resolving their arguments. And that's what I think the biggest issue here is. Anyway, when the police arrived, Penelope had a small bruise on her arm where she claimed that David had allegedly grabbed her. But she never wanted to go any further with the matter. So it was left alone. They were like, all right, well, you sure you're okay? And she's like, yep, yep, yep but she just wanted to make it known that David had grabbed her. Now, Penelope said, and this is a much later on, Penelope said that after this incident, she did think about getting a divorce. However, the nation was then sent back into another lockdown, so there was nothing really for her to do except hunker down with him and get through this lockdown. Two months later, on February the 13th, 2021, three days before Penelope's 66th birthday, the couple decided to do something special for her birthday and they decided with Isabel, their daughter, Penelope's daughter, not David's, but anyway, uh, the couple decided to do like a, a Zoom dinner with Isabel and her husband Tom. 
in their respective households, of course. They would Zoom over dinner, they would um, cook dinner, serve at the same time, and have it like that, which lots of people did. I did that lots of times with family and friends and whatnot. We'd have wine nights over Zoom, we'd play games over Zoom, we did quiz nights, it was great. Not great, but you know, it was great for what, what our restrictions were. Uh, so in their households, they decided to, it would be a very special dinner. So they bought uh, crab, lobster, and steak to recreate some sort of like Michelin, five-star, surf and turf meal, if you will. Now, the beginning of the evening seemed to go without issue, surprisingly. They all had a lovely seafood starter with their lobster and crab. But then it was time to serve the very expensive steak as the mains. Now, Penelope decided that with this very expensive steak, she was going to do a side dish of bubble and squeak. Now, if you do not know what a bubble and squeak is, it's like these little patties that's made out of potato and cabbage. It's kind of chopped up, mixed together, and then it's deep fried. So have like a crispy outside and you like season it and do all that good stuff. Um, sounds bloody delicious, if you ask me. <laughs> uh, however, it is seen as a very like commonplace like dish you know like it's quite low class for the poor the peasants this is peasant food um i don't see anything wrong with it but it's probably because i'm i'm probably like middle to low class but it's fine <laughs> food is food man i'll take whatever <laughs> um and this is what caused the row david was not impressed that penelope served such a peasant dish with this very expensive steak that he had bought for her birthday. He saw it as Penelope being ungrateful and unbothered about the money that he put into getting the crab and the lobster and now this piece of steak. And it's just like common food. So, yeah. Uh, this ended up being quite a substantial row, which Isabel and her husband Tom had to witness. At one point, Tom even said, let's just hang up. Like, it was really uncomfortable and really awkward for them all. Um, however, they seemed to get themselves together. But as soon as that row finished about the bubble and squeak, the iPad that David and Penelope were Zooming, uh, Isabel and her husband on, was about to run out of battery. So the next row was, I thought you charged it. Or no, I thought you were charging it. And it was going back and forth like that. So much so that the battery on the iPad did die and it turned off. I'm thinking, okay, well, why don't you just plug it in now? Is that not what you do? Like, my, my phone's going to run a battery soon. I'll just plug in my charger. Anyway, that, that's just what I do. But uh, that's not what they did. And the iPad died. They plugged it back in and they were able to come back online. Now, once the Jacksons, David and Penelope, came back online, Isabel said that it was obvious that her mother had been crying. And from that point on, the whole Zoom call was just awkward. <laughs> they still had to finish their dinner. They still had to, you know, wish Penelope a happy birthday. There might have been cake, I'm not sure, but it was just all awkward now. Um, however, it wasn't just Penelope not saying anything. David looked very on edge too. Isabel said... It was almost as if he was too scared to say anything. And if you get into an argument with someone who's like very much a dominant person over you, like sometimes after the argument, they can be the one who is like, they'll say whatever and not really care about the other person's feelings. However, Isabel said, well, no, it actually looked like David was the one who got told off almost. And, uh, and Penelope was the one that was crying. So Isabel just said it was, it was quite weird. It was quite a weird um, dynamic. So whatever happened when the iPad died, whatever conversation took place there between Penelope and David, we will never know. What we do know is that once the Zoom call was over, after Isabel and Tom had finished this awkward Zoom call and celebrating Penelope's birthday, things went from bad to a whole lot worse. Penelope sent Isabel a text that said, quote, if it all goes tits, you have this message, I love you to the ends of the earth, end quote. Now, Isabel did call and speak to her mother and was like, what's all that about? Are you okay? And Penelope said that, oh yeah, it was fine. Now, according to Penelope, she was terrified of David and believed that he was going to turn violent like he did 22 years ago 
when they were first married and after Gavin had died. Now, according to Penelope, after the Zoom call, she said that she was going to go to bed. And what she did was she went into the kitchen and she got a knife and took it to bed for her own protection as self-defense. Um, however, David just seemed to kind of wash up from dinner and head to bed himself with no incident until he realized that Penelope was hiding a knife under her pillow. Now, before we go on, I do want to note that this is all from Penelope's point of view. Um, I do believe that she was a victim of domestic abuse and that early on in their marriage, like we said about the, the being pinned up against the wall and the mug and the knife, and absolutely, she, she was a victim of, an, of attacks that happened to her. Um, but the facts that, and the evidence that we have about her character, she is narcissistic and that personality tend to lie a little bit too easily. We do know that she was a cheater. She cheated on Alan and she got into a relationship with Alan knowing that he was already married. So this is her account of events and... I believe some of them. We have uh, audio evidence about some of the things, but I'm not a hundred percent convinced on everything she says. But we'll do. We'll, we'll go with what we've got. So these are the events that proceeded on the evening of February thirteenth, two thousand and twenty-one. So after David found out about the knife under Penelope's pillow, he questioned her about it, and she actually told David that she was going to end her own life that night with the knife. Not that it was self-defense against him or not that it was for him, but she said that she was actually gonna take her own life. Now, according to Penelope, David responded with, quote, well, get on with it then, end quote. Now, I find this response very interesting to be made by someone who was so affected by his loved one committing suicide. If it was true, Perhaps David was just so over Penelope's behavior, just as much as she was over his. But I'm definitely taking that response that Penelope says that he said with a grain of salt because we don't have David's account of what happened. And like I said, he was really, he was awful. Like he, his behavior, his demeanor, everything changed after the death of his son. Is he really going to tell his wife for 24 years to kill herself? We'll never know. This is according to Penelope. So after David allegedly said this, Penelope was very upset and she got out of bed and David followed her where the two continued to just argue. Now, according to her, she's in her pajamas and he's just in like undershorts. They were calling each other names and according to Penelope, David almost dared her to stab him because she's standing there with the knife and he's like, go on then, like stab me then. If you're not going to stab yourself, stab me. Interesting responses, but this is what Penelope said happened. Um, David said that Penelope was pathetic and that she would never do it. And he's like, well, just put it down and let's just go back to bed. And in that instant, Penelope slashed David across the chest, causing a deep laceration and he began to bleed. He fell to the floor in pain, obviously. And Penelope walked into the kitchen and she actually began to write a confession letter. We'll circle back to this. But as she was writing, David managed to make his way into the lounge and he got the landline to call for an ambulance. This call was made around 9.07pm and in the first few minutes, apparently, you can almost hear David baiting Penelope on. Now we have parts of this 999 call, which I am going to play for you guys in a minute, but we don't have this part, but it's on record that this is like, you know, this is part of the phone records, the police have these records, this isn't like... Penelope's account but in the first few minutes of the call you can hear David almost baiting Penelope saying that that first slash across his chest was a fluke and that she wouldn't do it again on the phone call this is a, apparently this is what the police have this has not been released to the public on the phone call you can hear David scream out in pain and then the phone drop then Penelope picks it up and she starts to talk to the the operator and I'm going to play you play a bit for you now because I just think it's it's outrageous uh, for someone who has just stabbed someone her voice her demeanor everything is just it's like she doesn't care she doesn't she really doesn't care so just listen to this so are you with him now well I'm with him now 
Alright, do not stab him again. Okay, so just listen to my voice. Okay, yes. stay on the line with me. I am Okay, are you with the patient now? So if you didn't catch that, or um, again, I'm not 100% sure how that audio will sound, but she said that she might go and stab him again. And he said, no, don't go do that. She says, why? She also tells the operator that she is, um, you know, of, of sound mind. And he said, well, are you, are you with the patient now? And she said that she's in the kitchen and he's in the lounge bleeding to death with any luck. Like, she's so nonchalant about it. She's just like, yep, this is what it is. It's fine. She was so calm and matter-of-fact about it. Now, at about 9.25pm, the police arrived, and there is body cam footage, and it's just as mental. She comes out, she's like, yep, yep, like, I did it, I did it. She admits to everything, and, you know, the police are saying to her, like, you know, whatever you say can and will be used against you in the court of law. She was first um, charged with attempted murder, because they obviously hadn't um, gone in and seen him, and... and he wasn't declared dead at that point. But the, through the whole thing, she's more worried about getting her coat on because she's standing outside in, you know, like wintertime in the UK. Uh, she's just in her pyjamas. She even says to the police, oh, I bet you haven't uh, arrested anyone in Marks and Spencer's pyjamas before. And it, it's insane. The You know, the police are there. They've taken her out of the house. They said, oh, let's get the paramedics in. She's groaning. She goes, oh, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Leave him. She said that she should have stabbed him some more. She's just ruthless. She's absolutely ruthless about it. I've got another clip that I want you to play because I'm not doing it justice right now. She is just so unbothered by this whole thing. I'm going to play you another clip now. Just give me a minute. Okay, so again you know she comes out she says i admit it all she's not even arguing the police are saying like just just don't say anything like we've got to do this whole process she's like nope i admit it i admit it uh you know she's being uh, cuffed up to the car and she's just like I stabbed him. I've had enough. I did it. And then when she was taken to the police station, they said, wow, the charges have been uh, increased from attempted murder to murder. And she said, oh, good. Like, this woman had no feeling about stabbing her husband at 24 years to death. So not only did she slash him across the chest, but she did stab him in the abdomen two more times. Um, and... That's and, and he succumbed to his injuries. Uh, what else is quite interesting is this is another thing that she said. So she says to the operator that she uh, stabbed him once. He then told her he wouldn't do it. She wouldn't do it again. So she did it two more times, for good measure, I suppose. Uh, she said that she went to stab him in the heart and said, "Oh, but he hasn't got one." So she really is not happy with David, and this is where everything gets messy. I mean, it already is a mess, but. After spending the night in the police station, the next day she actually didn't want to talk about it as much. Uh, she did have quite a few drinks at dinner, which I think played a part in how talkative she was the night she was arrested. Um, but when she was talking to the police the next day, she kept referring to the confession note that she had written. Um, and she said that she denies the charge of murder, even though she said, oh good. <laughs> she denies the charge of murder and says that it was an act of self-defense. Now, I'll the note, it said, quote, To whom it may concern, I have taken so much abuse over the years. Look at my record in Hereford, Germany. But he was a good daddy. However, the mess slipped tonight. That is slash was unforgivable. I accept my punishment. May he rot in hell. End quote. So with this, 
and she's claimed it in self-defense uh, to Penelope she's guilty of manslaughter and she said that she had no choice in what she did in, in killing him. These cases are hard because there is evidence of abuse and there is evidence that David was abusive towards Penelope. Uh, however, the only, the record she's talking about in Hereford, Germany was about 22 years prior to this. Obviously it doesn't excuse him for what he did, but is it something to kill a man over 22 years later? Now, of course, throughout the throughout the years, the 24 years of their marriage, they were argumentative. Even, you know, people came forward and said, yeah, they argued and they made people feel uncomfortable and they, they did this, they did that. But is that a reason to kill him over? And was he abusive the whole time or... Yeah. So anyway, let's talk about the trial. The trial began on the 11th of October in 2021. And surprisingly, depending on which way you look at it, there were far more character witnesses there for David that came forward. Uh, a lot of them admitted that yes, he did do those violent acts that occurred at the start of their marriage, but he definitely was not an abusive man. From what they could tell, Penelope always instigated arguments, baited him into becoming angry with her made people uncomfortable with her own actions and just had no regard for anyone but herself. I don't think that is a far-fetched statement. As we've seen, Penelope did engage in affairs with married men. She tore apart families. She took a father away from three kids and his dying wife. She took David's last name before they were even married, while he was married to someone else. It's not a unfair statement that she doesn't think about anyone else but herself. In court, it did come out about uh, Melvin, Penelope's first husband, the one that she had told Rebecca and Victoria had died. Uh, the girls already knew this. They knew that he actually didn't die. But I remember when I told you about him and I said, I've, I've said this all very bluntly and kind of flat about him being abusive and adulterous and whatnot. Melvin's second wife, the, the woman he married after Penelope, she actually came to court to speak against Penelope. And she said that, quote, he went off to work one morning and when he came home that evening, she had vanished with their two daughters and she had completely stripped the house of everything, including the carpets, end quote. Melvin's second wife said that Penelope was shameless and that you cannot believe a single word that comes out of her mouth. Now, Melvin had passed away at this point and his second wife said that he was never abusive. He was never, he never cheated on her, never had an affair. It's, it's hard to say because maybe Melvin like changed after Penelope. Maybe he was abusive, but maybe he wasn't. And this is all just Penelope trying to justify leaving him and took, taking the carpets out of his house. Like, a, I don't know if that was like a, and a slight exaggeration or anything and you know when you say you you taken everything including the kitchen sink or whatever but um it's just like well why did she leave him then what what happened and unfortunately we won't know the truth because according to Penelope he was abusive and he was a horrible man it took Melvin years to find his daughters and he didn't rekindle with Rebecca and Victoria until they were well in their adult life, which I think is really sad. And, you know, they got married. They didn't have their biological father at their wedding. Some of the, you know, I think Rebecca has a couple of kids. And she just didn't, they just didn't have their biological father who actually sounded like a hardworking person in their lives. But because Penelope said he was abusive and uh, an adulterer, she left him. Now, like I said, we weren't there. We will never know what is the truth. It might be somewhere in the middle. He might have just, he might have been working all the time away from home and he might have just not been a nice person. But was he abusive? Who knows? Who knows? Even Rebecca, Penelope's oldest daughter, came forward to speak against Penelope and somewhat more on David's side. 
Rebecca recalls a time when she went to her mother asking for advice on her own failing marriage, and Penelope said, quote, It is much easier if your husband kills himself, end quote. And this was not long after Alan had taken his own life. So Sheila, David's second wife, who he was with when he started his affair with Penelope, she came into court to speak on David's behalf. And Sheila said that even before their own divorce, Penelope had told David that she would cut off his penis if he ever left her. And this was before they were even together, but she had taken his last name. Remember, she just decided to call herself Penelope Jackson, even though they weren't even married, but there you go. Uh, another woman, Jane Calvary, who was one of David's daughters, she came into court and said that even though she was not proud of the decisions her dad made in his love life, he definitely was not the abusive one. In fact, Jane went to say that Penelope loved making people feel uncomfortable and described an incident when they were on a big family trip to Australia and Penelope would leave the bedroom door of her hotel room open when she was in there naked. Jane said, quote, She didn't care that my son, who was entering puberty, would observe her sitting there naked, drying her hair. For me, the defendant liked baiting people for fun, for sport. She liked to see my father uncomfortable and she enjoyed that. End quote. So this isn't really looking good for Penelope's claim of self-defense when her own family are turning against her. But the key witness, Isabel, she played a huge role. She was obviously there, at, you know, over Zoom at the dinner. She saw the row between them about the bubble and squeak and about the iPad. And she said that she has seen both sides of Penelope and David's abuse towards each other. Uh, Isabel recalls violent the, the violent acts from her early years but can't say that Penelope hasn't had her turn in the verbal abuse towards David. Penelope would often pick and poke at David's insecurities, and if he was non-responsive to her, like if he just ignored her, if he brushed her off, she hated that and she would like step it up. A narcissist always needs a reaction, but then she would turn into like the victim going, oh, like you're yelling at me and you're being mean to me, and he's like, bitch, <laughs> no. <laughs> And this is what Isabel was saying, and they were they were like that towards each other. If they had a couple of drinks, there was always an argument. They would pick at each other about the most menial things, and it was just... This is just not a healthy couple. Well, they're not a couple anymore, obviously, with, unfortunately, David passing away, but, you know? Uh, so in the trial, the jury just heard all these like, allegations of abuse against David, you know, and, oh, David did this and David did that. And without him being there to defend these claims or, you know, give his side of the story or say about what Penelope might have done, uh, this did make it quite problematic for the jurors to decide how much of his murder was malicious and how much of it was actually self-defense. The trial came to a close on October 27th and after 11 hours of deliberation, the jury of eight women and four men came to the verdict that Penelope Jackson was guilty of murdering David Jackson. Not of manslaughter, but of murder. The main argument was that David was of no threat to Penelope at the time she attacked him. So therefore, it was not self-defense in the moment. Now, there is a lot of controversy over this type of ruling and saying that there was no threat of an attack at the time you killed your abuser, you know, in a domestic violence relationship type of situation, um, you know, and it's very hard for 12 strangers to sit there who have just heard the whole story of your lives to decide, well, no, actually you were okay at that moment and you shouldn't have done that, even if you've been in a domestic violent relationship for a long time. However, in the case of Penelope and David, there were only three violent acts made in the 24 years of marriage. And like I said, I'm not excusing, I'm really not excusing them. I know I keep kind of say like talking like that, and I, I'm really not excusing them. However, with only three violent acts made 22 years pre like prior to his death, and no other incident, like no other incidents is recorded, it doesn't convince the jury that the probability of him being a threat was high if that makes sense. Like, okay, yes, 
he might have done other things, but they weren't recorded. You didn't get the police involved except for that conservatory TV remote thing. But you didn't press charges. You didn't uh, make it all known that he was being abusive again. Uh, you, there are no hospital records of you go of Penelope going in for any kind of break. You know, like um, bruising, trauma, anything like that. There's just nothing. It's just Penelope's word against David, who is unfortunately no longer here. And then you have Penelope's family coming out and saying, well, actually, my mom's a bit of a bitch. You know, it's the probability of David being a threat to her was not high at the time that she murdered him. Um, what they also argued was her demeanor in the 999 call, the arrest itself, uh, like with the body cam footage, and the trial. Um, she never showed one scrap of remorse of the husband that she had for 24 years was now dead. Throughout the trial, Penelope did say that she still loved David very much and uh, she just felt trapped and had no other choice. But with her strong narcissistic personality, it was hard for the jury to buy that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's very hard to say. And if you are in a domestic violence relationship, you may not care that you've just killed your abuser. So I don't think that's the best kind of argument about the the guilty verdict however when you add that to non like no incidents being reported and her own behavior being quite problematic the character witnesses coming out for David I can see why they're saying that no, absolutely and if you're still saying that you love the guy you could at least cry about it you know but yeah so Judge Martin Picton, uh, who was overseeing the trial, he handed down a life sentence to Penelope with a minimum non-parole period of 18 years. And he said, quote, Despite professing that you still love him, you sought to portray David Jackson as a monster. Whilst there was no doubt, as in any marriage, points of friction that the lockdown would have exacerbated, I have no doubt he was nothing like the person you have claimed. You took the life of another human being, and that is a terrible thing to do. And it represents a burden you and all the other family members will have to bear for the rest of their lives. Their memories of David Jackson will always be tarnished by the manner of his death and the way you sought to portray him. End quote. So yeah, not even the judge is having a bar of Penelope's self-defense claims or claims of David being an abuser and she was in the super toxic like domestic violence relationship I, I fully agree that the relationship was toxic I think they were both very unhealthy in their relationship the way that they didn't work through conflict well um, but yeah the judge is saying no David was not the abusive one this means that Penelope will be up for parole in 2039 at the age of 84 she has appealed her verdict, but as of right now, her murder charge remains in place. And, yeah. This is the case of the bubble and squeak murder, named due to the first argument that the couple seemed to have on the evening of February 13th, 2021. Now, we have spoken about this before in episodes about domestic violence or battered women's syndrome and victims murdering their abusers. Without being in Penelope's shoes, we can't say if she is reacting to years of abuse because we don't know the full story. We don't know what else happened. We don't know what incidences went on behind closed doors, if there were any. We do know that there were arguments. We do know that they were verbally abusive towards each other. But that's it. It wasn't just David being abusive to her. It was Penelope as well. Her own daughters came out and said that. To me, that's a huge thing. That's a huge red flag right there. Um, in the trial, the amount of people that came out to be character witnesses for David, yes, he was no saint. They all admitted to the violent acts that he had done at the start, but the couple decided to work through it and go past it, and then they were just verbally abusive towards each other. Uh, I mean... He did have a lot of people that were batting on his side, saying that, no, Penelope's the issue. Now, unless David was like the super manipulative genius who got everyone on his side, including Penelope's own daughters and including her ex-husband's ex-wives and ex-husband's current wives and so forth, 
it it's hard to look at this and not and it's hard to look at this and think that no Penelope is a completely innocent victim we have seen a part of Penelope's lives and the decisions she's made, the um, relationship she's entered. I think the biggest thing is when she took David's last name before they were even married. That, that to me is, I don't get that. I don't know how a person can do that. So I want to pose a question to you guys because I'd love to hear what you guys think. Um, was Penelope the victim? Or were, was she just as toxic as David? And this was a case of who snapped first or was Penelope the issue? I'd just love to hear what you guys thought. There's no right or wrong. I, just, I would just love to hear what you guys think about that. And the way you can get in touch with me and to share your thoughts and feelings about this case is uh, through Instagram or Facebook at Coffee and Crime Podcast. You can flick me a DM with your thoughts and feelings and we'll have a chat. You can also give me a recommendation for a future episode uh, or you can just say hi. Uh, you can also head over to redbubble.com and you can search for Coffee and Crime Pod and get yourself a cool mug. You can get some stickers, you can get notebooks, you can get phone cases, you can get all sorts of everything on there. So go have a look if you'd like. I will put the link in the show notes as well for Redbubble. But that is all from me. Thank you for joining me on my birthday episode. I'm really sorry that the schedule's been all kind of messed up lately, but we, um, we're going to get back into it and we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Um, but yeah. Thanks for sharing my birthday with me, guys. Yay! Uh, so until next time, be safe, be good, be better, and all that cheesy crap. And I will catch you guys for the Mr. Asia Part 2 next week, this coming Saturday, right here at Coffee and Crime. Bye!